Joe, that was, oh shit, hold on. Joe, that was uh, Moses Sumney's uh, A Romanticism, the lead single, or sorry, uh, the song is called Quarrel. It's the lead single from his album, A Romanticism. Uh, a song I wanted to play because, uh, well, first of all, uh, I think it's pretty good. It's been stuck in my head for a few days. Mm-hmm. But the reason I really wanted to talk about it was uh, when I was listening to it, I. Um, I couldn't get out of my head the like sort of radio heady sounds of it uh-huh. even while <laughs> um even while it's not really uh a song Radiohead would ever do and so the uh the capsule uh definition or or description of the song that I came up with was it's basically like you took like a Hail to the Thief era era Radiohead song and turned it into a Marvin Gaye song which um, hmm. is, uh, only kind of funny, but it did make me imagine. Um, so, uh, I, I'll hear your thoughts on that, but it did make me imagine Tom York using his musical skills to bed the ladies. And that just cracked me up imagining that. <laughs> is this your, this is, so this is your opening bit. It's just Tom York. Yeah. Like singing, let's get it on. Uh, yeah, but you know, in it, I, I'd imagine Tom trying to do that, but then it just ends up being about the apocalypse. Anyway, I don't. I don't think that. I think Pablo Honey uh, era Radiohead. Um, uh, you know, not just the album, but uh, uh, the sort of the stuff around it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of that Radiohead EP that came out around oh, then. I'm, oh, I'm, shit. It's, I'm one, really, sil- it's a one-syllable word. Oh, drill, fuck. drill. Drill. No, itch, a, itch. Itch. Itch is the one I was thinking of. Um, and I think that, you know, things like, you know, songs like Stop Whispering and Thinking About You, but then like Faithless the Wonder Boy, Banana Co. These, <laughs> these, are, these are sweetheart songs. I mean, they're angsty songs, but yeah. they're also Tom kind of like, you know, being a tortured romantic. Um, and, I, you know, I think they were um, <coughs> panty droppers uh, in <laughs> the early 90s. Let's let's be real. Um, I think um, they achieved their purpose. I mean, so that's what's so funny about it, though, is like one of the songs you cited is Banana Co., which is like a very sad song. <laughs> it is. <laughs> maybe, maybe they dropped my briefs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, 
so but probably I mean, listening to Radiohead that much kept my briefs all too on throughout my high school years. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> whatever you may say about those, and I agree, there's some romanticism. Not exactly going to put them on in the boudoir. Um, you know, I think that Radiohead probably would be capable of playing some pretty sweet jams. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like they probably have in the privacy of their own rehearsal room. But uh, Tom York, could he could pull that off, man. I mean, he has charisma. Yeah. He's oh, I'm a not... rock star. He's got the talent. I just don't know if he could direct it, I guess is what I'm saying. No, I think he could. I mean, you know, you could, I watched the, the video for uh, Fake Plastic Trees the other day. Um, oh, it's yeah. It's number one awful Um, which I think pretty much every 90s music video, except for like the top, like maybe 1% or even like 0.1% are terrible. Um, Like you probably remember the 10 good ones when you think about 90s music videos. Um, And it's just him, you know, it's it's him riding around in a... A A shopping cart. Shopping cart through a like weirdly... um, I don't want to call it monotone, but, you know, chromatic grocery, like, ah. you know, and, um, but his, his own charm is, uh, <laughs> the only thing that propels the video. He's, uh, he's a heartthrob, a tortured heartthrob. Do you think Radiohead let groupies into the backstage area in like the OK Computer tour era or were they too I mean, tortured for that? <laughs> If you if wait, haven't have you not seen Meeting People as Easy? What's funny is I think I've owned it for fifteen years and never watched it. Wow. Well, if you did watch <laughs> it, you would see that it's if they did, it was a very depressing sight. Like, yeah. it was not a happy time. But that was <laughs> that was way past that that's five years past what I'm what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about. So um, Of course. But um I thought you were going to, what if Marvin Gaye was actually in Radiohead? (laughs) Now that That, would be interesting. I mean, Phil and Colin could definitely lay it down for him. There's no question. And Ed. Yes. Um, That's a, that's a rhythm section that, that he can work with. I think Billy Billy Corgan once said that he was terrified that in the future, uh, Jimmy would tour with Tom York playing Smashing Pumpkin songs. (laughs) That's just because Billy was uh, bitter and jealous of Tom York's critical acclaim. It's true. It's true. Um, He did like OK Computer, though. Um, Paul, the song you played, uh, Quarrel, was quite good. Good. I'm glad you appreciated it, Joe. It it was, uh, you know, it was a sweetheart song. Absolutely. Well, the whole album is uh, uh, sort of... um, weird spacey love songs like that so. what is is that genre, is there a genre here that like cigarettes after sex is also in mm, that's a good question uh what would you call that like sort of <sighs> indie know. boudoir it's like a combination of singer songwriter and like s- lounge standard singers yeah and indie rock so i don't <laughs> i don't know lounge indie yeah i don't know i reach for soul I, I the voice obviously doesn't match but very white style just sort of like smooth and soft but remove much of the funk removed by the whiteness of the indie genre whisper um, whisper core <laughs> moan, whisper moan whisper, core bone core that's it we got it yes go. <laughs> yes yes and you don't stop cool like the best rapper you don't stop
fucking dollar freestyle for you and your mind. Come on, yeah, you can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast, <laughs> slightly above average at least. Nah, preference is relative. My references consistently uh, bring you to another vicinity. I hit you with the riddles consistently. Dead in the middle, a little tripoli. Little did we know that we triggered a fissure in the metaphysical. And welcome to Savage Beast. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher, uh, and with me, as always, uh, funding uh, the production of this podcast with his 0.05 bitcoins. It's Paul McLeod. <laughs> Joe, with 0.05 bitcoins, I could buy Donald Trump. Um, it's true. Uh, isn't it annoying to? I mean, there's. It, it shouldn't be because there's no way to really know these things. But it isn't annoying to just watch this opportunity to become filthy rich that you totally could have taken advantage of pass by and then it's probably gone you know i have become immune to that after having watched that opportunity go by in the first dot com dot com bubble Um, (laughs) the dot com bubble continues uh, yes that bubble (laughs) keeps going um you know i i had some really good ideas and in fact was um about to i think in about maybe 1999 uh maybe 2000 i was going to uh register car.com and let people review cars on it and then i saw that car.com cost a hundred dollars i was like oh that's a lot so i didn't do it and i'm like well you know you probably could have sold car.com for 10 million at some point even (laughs) if it was like shitty Yep. Uh, no question. A domain like that. I remember poker.com sold for $10 million or something during the poker boom. So, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Joe, you put all your money in the mini disc bootleg concert boom that mm, um, mm-hmm. fizzled spectacularly. Yeah, I still have those mini discs, though. Someday, my mini disc recording of a mum show in Orlando <laughs> will be worth millions of dollars <laughs> worth upwards of three cents um, good old good old mum the uh poor man's secret rose yes as as i believe i've said on this podcast before i got laid at a moom show so uh they're they're great for me yeah there you go i can't believe we both see moom uh they were good you know they were they were scratching that uh post apex twin itch for me at least and probably for yeah. you as well plus they they had it what did they have like two Nordic girls in the band? Absolutely. Yeah. All of them, you can talk your... Every Nordic female musician is attractive, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah. As you were going to say, you can talk yourself into any of them. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Good for Moom. But we're not here to talk about that, Joe. Yes. Good thing Alex is behind on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And your wife does not listen. Yeah. No, we'll be fine. Uh, You know, they look too. There's, there's, There's nothing going on. That's true. That's true. Um, Paul, mm-hmm. uh, we want to start tonight with a rant mm-hmm. um, before we get into our main topic, which is Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins. And that's the main topic for this entire podcast, not just yeah. for this episode. Um, I was listening to the uh, Bill Simmons podcast, BS Report, whatever the fuck it's called now. I'm always listening to, to it when Chuck... Klosterman is on because um, mm-hmm. he usually has something fun to say and he has no problem telling Bill to shut the fuck up, um, yes. which makes it really fun. Um, however, as he grows, in, he's also moved to my native Portland 
Mm-hmm. Uh, which have is you not, seen him around yet? I have not. You know, I have not seen him. He's supposed to be very um, tall, and of course, he's redheaded, so you should he should be recognizable if he's around. Yeah, I feel like I would. I probably will. I mean, but it's Portland, so now we've we've entered the six months where everyone is sort of like dashing, hunched over in mm-hmm. the, the rain from one place to another. So uh, it's it's harder to notice people out and about. Makes sense. Um, anyway. He, they were talking about how he listens to Sirius XM, which I do as well, um, all the time. And Bill brought up what I think is a really good point that he's made before, which is that this channel has an 80s channel and a 90s channel, you know, 90s rock channel uh, mm-hmm. lith- called Lithium. And they do not have a zero zeros rock channel um, or the aughts rock channel to play bands like The Strokes or Kings of Leon or... Um, the mm-hmm. White Stripes, um, uh, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, uh, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, and uh, that would be a good channel. I'd, I'd listen to that. And Chuck Klosterman made the point that no one is nostalgic for that music. Mm-hmm. Remember, he said it was, there's just, that's the problem. No one is nostalgic for it. Uh, questionable claim one. And then number two, he said it's because it's so derivative Um, as though, as this form of rock, uh, was somehow more derivative than other forms of rock. Uh, and uh, you know, (laughs) this long prelude is just to say that's bullshit. (laughs) You don't get to say just because, look, I mean, that music, people in the aughts, they partied to it. They got laid to it. It was their soundtrack to high school and college. Of course, they're nostalgic for it. Yeah, it's ridiculous to say that just because you were older, maybe he was in his late twenties or thirties at that point. I don't know. Um, he, I think he's a good ten years older than us. So. Yeah. So, like, yeah. of course, he sort of passed out of the time when he was truly nostalgic for it. And I mean, he writes about hair metal bands and yeah. stuff as as like the the music of his youth. And his point is is that yes, of course, the White Stripes are. The strokes are derivative of, you know, garage, garage rock, 60s indie rock or, you know, at least the lo-fi rock they had then. But I mean, all that fucking rock was derivative (laughs) of (laughs) African-American music and uh, a bunch of different, you know, British um, uh, little genres and, you know, soul and R&B the blues i mean so to call this rock music even uh, to pretend that hair metal uh and nirvana is not derivative yeah and um you know tv on the radio is uh is um uh utter bullshit made me mad I, I, it's funny because, of course, that claim, I listened to it before you did, and the, that claim leapt out to me as well as I was listening. And I immediately started evaluating, like, is this, does this make any sense? Um, and I, I will offer a, a tepid defense of Chuck Klosterman. All right, all right, let's hear it. Um, so um, I, think, I think he's wrong about how nostalgia works. I don't think it really matters whether the work is derivative. Um, but so... Uh, and I think he's cherry picking his arguments as we dissected on a previous anti Chuck Klosterman rant on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah, I would, I wouldn't, 
I would say he's got a point that the Strokes and the White Stripes, specifically those two bands, are more obviously revivals of previous styles without too much adornment, you know, really just relying on skill rather than um, than originality, uh, which they had lots of skill, um, to set themselves apart. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but, you know, like you make a, it, it, I would say they were a little bit more so like that than a Nirvana or uh, a hair metal uh, were. Like Nirvana obviously has tons of influences and obviously was really sort of like the mainstreamification of 80s underground punk movements. Right. Um, but it feels, it, those bands like that feel somewhat, while they have influences, they don't feel like they're just trying to, to revive old styles to the extent that the Strokes and the White Stripes are. Now, uh, mm-hmm. and you, you're also correct that the 70s ba- uh, Titans that they are deriving from, uh, like Led Zeppelin, were completely derivative of uh, black musicians or whatever. That said, I think the way in which he's theorized, or here's, I assume I construct for him an argument that the way in which de- uh, derivative music fails to inspire nostalgia is that people who might be nostalgic, nostalgic for it can just uh, also have the um, antecedent in mind. Like if you're listening to the White Stripes, hmm. um, you know about Led Zeppelin and you know what that sounds like and you can just go back there. Um, whereas people listening to Led Zeppelin in the seventies had never listened to Muddy Waters and never did. Um, so even though they derived their music, in fact, lifted it from people like that, um, yes. uh, the, the audience didn't, couldn't tell, didn't know. So in that sense, there's a difference there right. that said, I don't think that's how nostalgia for music works at all. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, the kids, uh, getting high and boning to the white stripes, uh, we're probably like, yeah, this is like Led Zeppelin, which I've heard on television commercials a few times, but way better and of my generation. So, um, I, not that they're right, but that's probably what they felt. Um, and um, so I am sure that they are all nostalgic for it. If there's a reason there's not such a station, I think it's just because all of the bands we just mentioned were indie famous, not real famous. <laughs> And so this is probably not as much of an audience for it. Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, I think the better point um, that he could have made is that by that point, rock and roll was fading even more rapidly from the mainstream. I mean, I, you know, I, we've said before that even in the nineties that was taking place um, and that there's simply, it was simply like less meaningful, um, where you know 90s in the 90s hip hop kind of ascended and in the aughts it was yeah you know it became dominant um, yeah the bands that people like of that age are nostalgic for are like the Neptunes and Justin Timberlake in fact i'm pretty sure they are specifically like like the big lodestone album for them is like uh future sex love sounds was just a a nuclear bomb for that generation yeah and um you know early Kanye. Yeah, exactly. Uh, slow jams, uh, <laughs> which is a twist of song. God, that song's so fucking good. Um, 
I, th- I think of that as a uh, what's his face, the actor who's on it. Jamie song. Fox. It's just yeah. it's just technically a Twista single. Uh, um, so yes, so that I think is a better argument. And then I also think that um, you know rock in the two thousands was you know no longer transgressive in really any way. Um, yeah. You know when yeah I, I think of. Uh, uh, sort of by like strokes, the memory that comes to my mind is, you know, sitting in my sophomore year um, dorm room uh, with my uh, roommate, uh, uh, Eric, when he's like, you know, sort of uh, figuring out the riff of last night by ear. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're both sitting there like this song. We're like this song fucking rules. But it's not like. Neither of us would be like, oh, we're such rebels for listening to this music. Yeah. Um, which even like less than 10 years ago, you know, wearing a Nirvana shirt and listening to Nirvana it, it was, you know, rebellious, at least for a teenager. Um, Absolutely. So I think that's another reason that uh, uh, um, that would be a better reason to say that this music is less compelling. Not that people aren't just straight up aren't nostalgic for it. Yeah, I think 90s rock was so loud and abrasive and antisocial in content that there that that was as as antagonistic to the mainstream as you could get once they tired of it. So yeah. where, where's there to go from there? And I mean, um, you made the good point that, you know, when you talk about reviving old ideas with it, I mean, I feel like that's happening right now with people reviving oh, yeah. 90s ideas. And a lot of it fucking rules, but it's not, it is like, People are actively people that enjoy like I Nako, I Nako, A uh, Nako. Uh, I you know again I go back and listen to the podcast where I reviewed their show because I said what how said it how they said it when I watched them but I don't remember what it was anymore. <laughs> um, we're all thinking of you yeah. know the Smashing Pumpkins, Built to Spill, the the bands that are you yeah. know we hear when they hear them. Absolutely. Um, the breeders, the pixies. Those yes. People. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. I ultimately, I think the reason Chuck Klosterman thinks that music is not compelling enough to be nostalgic for is that, like you said, Chuck Klosterman was old by that point and it didn't like seize him. Uh, the way the, the um, often incredibly shitty music that he's nostalgic for uh, did when he was young. And that's, <laughs> that happens to everybody. That's fine. Yeah. Just don't try to make a value judgment. I, I feel like we, I, like, I'm kind of proud of us. I feel like maybe one unique thing about this podcast is how actively we fight against that. Yeah. Uh, who knows? I mean, I think we're at that age where, <laughs> like, this is for many people the last gasp of still yes. <laughs> liking new music. So who knows? Maybe in 10 years we'll be like, no, actually, um, all this music now sucks and the kids are idiots and they should just go back to listening to uh, Dr. Dre's 19, uh, 2001. That makes me, that makes me, uh, sad, but also relieved. <laughs> Perhaps that, that time of peace where I just will look at Pitchfork and be like, nah, I'm not even going to look, listen to any of these. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, I just, yeah, I just, even though I love all my music that I've loved for all these years, I just can't, I can't imagine. I, despite what I just said, I can't imagine, uh, being like, I'll, I'll just listen to this stuff over and over again for the rest of my life, even though I have enough of it to do that. <laughs> as long as people are making rock music, I will be listening to it. Um, yeah. And probably 
hip hop as well, but especially rock music. I think if if new bands are making good rock, um, yeah, I'll always be paying attention to that. To some That's extent. true, and I mean, you know, we draw the jazz rock comparison in terms of their their arc of prominence. Yeah. Um, and big jazz heads still love uh, new jazz from yeah. talented musicians that comes out. So uh, no reason it can't keep happening. And Chuck Klosterman, I mean, he grew up, you know, maybe he came, became our age, or like mm-hmm. when he was in his 30s or, you know, 20s, he just missed the technical advancements yeah that allow us to explore new music without committing um a uh disproportionate amount of time and money to it yeah Um, not that we don't still buy music or take time to listen to it but we don't have to like track down the new artist then go to the record store and then buy it um yeah you know that that insane gamble of 15 dollars you didn't have for an album you'd heard one song from is just Gone, yeah, and, and it would be tough to be listening to bands like the one, um, what was the name of this dude we just listened to? Uh, Moses. Moses Sum- yeah, if we, you know, had to like kind of hear it on, uh, you know, in, in a college radio station and then, I mean, uh, tr- either track down the MP3 or actually go buy it, you know, that'd probably be a lot, they'd probably listen to a lot fewer songs like that. So yeah, we're in a different space. Yeah. Well, it is decided old people suck. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this has been the the fuck, <laughs> the fuck Chucks uh, segment. Yeah, and also the ranting about Bill Simmons, the only other podcast we ever mentioned on this podcast uh, segment. Um, I feel like I'm going to become rich by um, having a podcast that's just a rant about every Bill Simmons podcast. <laughs> like every time he puts one up, like six hours later, I put one up that's just like this. This is bullshit. If you made it funny, creatively funny enough, he would hire you if he ever actually listened to it. Oh, yeah. Um, that would be uh, an interesting way to make it in this life. Yeah, to uh, finally become a digital content producer online. Yes. Yes. Uh, Paul, speaking of the new, uh, we're going to talk about Billy Corgan. <laughs> actually, speak. Okay, so actually, uh, actually to uh, have a unplanned uh derivative into the very new the mm-hmm. brand the brand new <laughs> uh in yeah. our last podcast we talked about the brand brand new uh yes. without um uh knowing that the lead singer was um just on the edge of being a pedophile uh, yeah he's sort <laughs> of uh indie jared fogel light is yes. my impression of what he was <laughs> indie jared fogel he didn't he didn't sell out to subway man he <laughs> kept his stalking of teens pure uh we shouldn't laugh yeah that news came out like what like two or three days after we recorded that podcast yes it was disheartening yeah. um, so i mean maybe just the disclaimer before every episode uh for the rest of you know probably the next six months is that we um we do find the many sexual assaults committed by whichever artists we're speaking about um, deplorable and do not support them. Um, however, the details have not yet come to light and we will, uh, deplore them specifically when they do. We are ready to deplore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I'm glad that I did not get too into brand new <laughs> because I would be sad now that well, I lost that. Uh, you know, we'll save this for another time cause I actually have, uh, Oh, I, we can actually talk about another, a different podcast another time, but, 
one of my favorite podcasts, Very Bad Wizards, had a discussion about uh, sexually assaulting artists or, or artists who sexually assault, excuse me. Um, and they had, this is something I think we talked about on our Stoned episode, but um, they had a point that I think is very relevant, but I'll save it. Or, or very interesting that I hadn't thought of. That, but I'll save it for when you've had a chance to listen. Don't, don't save. Oh, do you want me to listen to it first? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know. All right, that'll be something to talk about for yeah. sure. Um, because I have a point as well. We're going to keep these points secret yeah. to ourselves. Well, <laughs> we definitely have enough for a, a considered ten to twenty minute segment here. It sounds like so. Yes, we'll, we'll save it. Yes, um, but uh, we wish to. Uh, uh, heartily apologize for not pre-apologizing for brand news uh, assumed crimes. Yes, and again, we are just assuming crimes for everybody from here on out because um, that seems to be a safe bet. Um, yes, yeah, speaking of crimes and blunders, uh, Billy Corgan, uh, I, I once in my Smashing Pumpkins message board that I frequent, uh, I think one of the, the longest thread was called... Uh, uh, Billy's biggest blunders, where people debated what was the biggest fuck up of his career, um, and it was a heated debate. Uh, oh man, what's your choice? Yeah, well, my choice is um, uh, my choice will be. It's I have two. I mean, it's all about the second half of the Pumpkins' career. Yeah, uh, it's between just thinking Zeitgeist was good. Uh Like Zeitgeist being a blunder. And then when Jimmy quit the band, hiring a 19-year-old who was actually bad at playing the drums to be the drummer. (laughs) Like, he's not, like, he's not just, like, kind of shitty. He's, like, noticeably bad at it um, to to play the drums and to try and drum these Smashing Pumpkin songs. Uh, That, that, yeah. That's weird. Like, why does Billy Corgan... Why is he, why does he not have good drummers available to him? Seems like a weird question. He did. He just picked the nineteen year old. I, mm. He probably wanted to be nineteen himself. Maybe he was sexually assaulting him. Oh God! <laughs> I don't think so. I, don't know. I think it's. I really I, hope not. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be too easy. Oh God. Okay. Enough sex assault jokes because it's really not funny. No, um, it's, it's dark. Um. But yeah. Um, so obviously he did a bunch of terrible things from Zeitgeist on with the Smashing Pumpkins, but mm-hmm. the stakes were low at that point. Um, yes, you know. So I would say a bigger blunder would probably have to be like Heavy Metal Machine or something like that. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, or or the 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 oh, White Spider. That's a truly <laughs> terrible song. Oh, I love White Spider. Uh, uh, this is bullshit. Come on. I thought you said that got like worst pumpkin song ever in a pumpkins fan poll uh, around that time, but maybe not. No, I think that may have been heavy metal machine. Oh, okay. Well, either way. Far, far worse. <laughs> um, no, I like white spider. It fits in nicely with tales of a scorched earth as a pumpkin song that is um, far too, far too heavy, but um, you know, Jimmy and some insane distortion makes fun to listen to. Yeah, um, but we're not talking about Machina Two. Uh, I, I I disagree about Tales of a Scorched Earth. Very briefly, it's an awesome song, even though it is extremely heavy. Move on. Oh, it is awesome. I love yeah. Tales of Scorched. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we're, we're here trying to talk to... about Ogallala. Yeah. Ogallala. Um, which is Billy Corgan's solo album. Uh, mm-hmm. Originally released under the name William Patrick Corgan. Um, however, over the past few weeks, uh, he has um, um, sort of, um, without much fanfare, uh, gone back and on all the digital releases, uh, changed his name back to Billy Corgan, um, including changing the cover of the album in yeah. all the digital versions, um, which is just so classic Billy to <laughs> change course so dramatically, just like in the middle of something before it's even done. Um, it, it's really kind of beautiful. Yeah. It's funny because uh, I saw the headline about that. Like there's a specific headline on Pitchfork about Billy Corgan changes his name to Billy Corgan um, on the album. And I thought like, well, I guess I should just regard this as a sign of Billy's continued relevance that this is <laughs> worth yes. posting on this website. <laughs> because honestly, who cares? Um, but uh, on the other hand, maybe it's just a reflection of the utter desperation for clicks that marks the modern publishing uh, enterprise. I, I saw the, uh, one of the headlines I saw for it because um, my my Google app like just shows me random news headlines based on what I Google. Um Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it, um, it got, I think it was the AV club's headline about it was Billy Corgan is dead. Long live Billy Corgan. And I was like, <laughs> just like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah. That's cruel. You can't, yeah. you can't joke, proclaim any beloved famous person dead in a headline. That's, no, no. That's, it was a, that's the worst of clickbait to be honest. Yeah. Um, so William Patrick Corgan, though, is dead. I have a feel I feel like that will not uh, be returning. Um, uh, Can, it was an affectation, um, along with the character of Glass that came along with Machina, <laughs> uh, that did not last uh, nearly as long as it was intended to. <laughs> yeah, um, Billy does have a habit of huffily pulling the plug on anything people don't love, uh, which is probably good. It yeah. keeps him from pulling up keeping it going too long he's one of the he's the only artist who could announce a 44 song uh song cycle and then about like seven like 15 songs into it be like i'm actually just not gonna finish this and release some of <laughs> their albums he's not the only artist come on we're no. three we're three albums into sufyan's 50 albums project well, Suf- um, sufyan did to his credit, admit around the time of Illinois that that was a joke. That he, oh, okay. when he had said he was doing all fifty, he was just like he was never serious. Oh, I don't think I ever saw that. I still say that's revisionist history. Um, he was gonna do it. It could be. It could be. Um, it, yeah, I don't. You know, Carrie and Lowell is um, more or less. Um, it could easily have been called Oregon. Since yeah. half the songs are about Oregon. That's what that's actually the third of the three I just credited him for. There you go. Um his new album came out, uh the Carrie and Lowell, like the Avalanche of Carrie and uh Carrie and Lowell. Um so if you haven't listened to it yet. Wait, dear what? listeners. Yeah. Yeah, he released uh like you know, like the the Avalanches to Illinois, he released a um follow up to Carrie and Lowell. It's about half Oh, I see. It's about half new songs and half remixes. Uh, it's called The Greatest Gift. Hmm. I, yeah, I never, like, I feel weird about releases like that because I'm such an album fiend. Anyway, 
We are delaying before we get to our real topic. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I like it. I like that it's separate and not released as a deluxe edition of Carrie and Mole. That's I actually true. like separating it as a uh, different um, thing. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't think there's anything uh, sinister about it. It's just I never. F- it feels like something I can't like embrace. Where know. do you categorize it in your mind? It's it's like the rock version of a mixtape or something. I don't know. Paul, this reminds me that many, many episodes again, I kind of complained that Kanye kept changing the track list of the life oh, of yeah. Pablo or, or, or re-uploading it. But uh, I was reading now that, that fans now consider that an essential part of the album, that it is unfinished. Ah. Like that's like a quality of the album and that Kanye could continue to change things on it forever. That sounds like uh, a theory that fans are much more interested in than Kanye is interested in. True, but it, it brought me a med, uh, a um, a semblance of peace about the album. <laughs> yes, um, you you accepted the fluid nature. I did. Um, I you know, did. it would be cool if somebody did that. Probably. Yeah. Um, you'd have to take like a core sample of the album to to learn its true essence. Yes. You would never be able to really. Uh, to really experience its its an, it, its totality all at once. Um. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, Paul, you listened to Ogilala. Yes, I did. What did you think of uh, this work by William Billy? So, uh, you know, we discussed the lead single Aeronaut a uh, mm-hmm. couple months ago or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I. I don't know that I have too many more, too many different opinions about it, about the yeah. album as a whole, than I did about that one song. I'm, they all, like the the palette is one hundred percent the same throughout, um, which was announced ahead of time. That's not a surprise or anything. Um, that it was his stripped down Rick Rubin. I'm just going to play some acoustic instruments and sing thing. But you know he sings in the same style, and it's sort of similar types of songs and everything, which is funny because the hallmark of peak Billy was the insane uh, genre hopping he did, or at least within the genre of rock, the insane uh, style hopping. Um, And uh, so, um, yeah, it's a good album. Um, There are, uh, it's hard for me to feel, to know whether I am (laughs) accurately assessing it because I have so much Billy baggage that comes up in every single episode every time we talk about music together. Um, but, you know, my my standards for what I expect from Billy are so low after the past decade that um, uh, when I hear this and it's like competently done and heartfelt and um, not uh, not sort of... I don't know if pandering is the right word, but just sort of like, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to make some music and see if people like it seems to be the attitude to this album. Right. Um, that, uh, I like it even though I'm not sure it's a transcendent work of genius. Like some of the songs are really beautiful and pretty. Some of the songs are just like songs that are fine. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty tepid take. I'm sorry. Um, you know, that's totally fine. And I mean, I have the same issue where, of course, it's tainted by the fact that, you know, he was he is and remains the uh, core member of my favorite band um, mm-hmm. and that I will always bring that those memories and 
um, indeed baggage to it. Um, so, and, and yes, like the, the whole album, like Aeronaut, is beautifully sad. Uh, mm-hmm. It has that, that particular... Wistful was the word yes. I, looked, I, I reached for. It has that particular quality of beauty, as we identified, that, you know, is, is true of Smashing Pumpkin songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that is what's good about it is that it really plays to Billy's strength in terms of his songwritings, mm-hmm. uh, his songwriting. Um, and, um, uh, you know, even with the first song, Zowie, which is a, uh, David Bowie, uh, kind mm. of tribute according to Billy. Um, I was wondering you know, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and it's sort of a, it's. You know, it's it's a I recognize the work of a of a great artist, um, even if he's not totally fulfilling his whole promise anymore. Um, and uh, you know, I feel that you know now Billy is making a record um, uh, in I use that word in like the journalistic sense of you know where he is right now. Um, uh, you know, kind of recording, you know, what um, kind of his emotional state, which he really has not done since Adore or maybe the future embrace. We don't have to, you know, um, but, you know, everything since then has always been um, uh, that part has been subsumed by the desire to be a rock star or be, you know, at least recapture something, some aspect of the pumpkin's highest success. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now he is a, you know, older, a father and more understanding of the pumpkin's legacy. Um, and uh, I think it comes through here um, when he's, uh, when he plays to his strengths. Yeah. Um uh, I think um, let's can we can we play a song? Yeah, we really should have started doing. Recording. We should have. Let's play the last song on the album, Archer. Go to rip from the sun, you're born anew. You make it so, you make it now. I'll pace the steps with you, waiting on a teardrop to explode. Be thorn, be hope, be monstrous right there where you are. Take flight, take fear, say all good night now, right from sleepy hour. Faith has its fun with it all. I speak of love, impressed by the love. What lies beyond mere days, or far beyond God's ways. Thank you. 
That was Archer, the final track from Ogilala. Uh, you like that one, Paul? Yeah, I, uh, uh, I think it's one of the most beautiful songs on the album. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of like, you know, like I said before, they're all kind of trying to go for the same thing with a lot of the same instrumentation. Um, and uh, I, this one is just better written. Um, it's, it's not that any of them are bad, really, um, but it's, it really nails that sort of poignant, uh, you know, here there's a little bit of what Billy often does with his final tracks and sort of like uh, expressing sentiments that reach out towards the future. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, the first line is um, a conditional uh, about future actions. So um, I feel like that's something he likes to do is, you know, here we're at the end and we're going to look towards what's coming ahead. Um, so it's a little bit different from uh, some of the other themes, but still that same sort of, um, you know, uh, content um, appreciation of the si- the mixed beauty and sadness of life, I think is what he's going for. And uh, I, especially when the string quartet stuff comes in, it's just gorgeous and uh, as good as, uh, you know, a, a worthy addition to his catalog. Yeah, you know, when this... Uh, when the album came out, there were a lot of comments on the uh, fan boards that called this the best song he's written in years. Um, you know, and I have to agree. It's got this yeah. uh, Machina era, uh, so happy it's actually painful vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a momentum through the lyrics, um, even though they're as teenage as they always are, <laughs> that uh, it makes the song seem kind of like twice as fast, but also twice as epic as it's you know kind of yeah length and surface tenor appears to be um and i wrote down that it's it's kind of shameless in its soul bearing um Mm -hmm. which is really that's what i come to the smashing pumpkins for that's you know other than the fucking killer riffs and guitar tones um you know the, the the lyrics end with uh be thorn, be hope, be monsters all. As if there's no desire, I weep for love and it's surreal. Goodbye, dear one, I haven't given up. I'm just the archer for the sun, where forever is undone. I mean, that's classic Billy, like, teen angst poetry. Yeah, and you know, just, like, super overwrought, but also kind of charming. That's why, that's why we keep him around, to, like, yeah. just deliver that with absolutely uh, no uh, second thoughts as to whether, you know... Yeah whether it's men. cool or not yeah yeah <laughs> like that's you know love is the the, the purpose you know yeah of life so which uh, is funny from a public figure who like you would not say like loving is the impression you get from billy but um maybe that's why he's so compelling is that he's drawn to love but can't really do it right yeah <laughs> yes yes um you know his last album uh, the last pumpkins album quote unquote was called uh, monuments to an elegy and i kind of feel like that that sentiment fits here better i mean that is a very pumpkins mm-hmm. sentiment um and here you know we see this like angstful monument to you know the end of of things and you know kind of as you said that it's like a that's a new beginning yeah. um so, so what is the most uh the most billy title of a song on this album because there are some good ones I thought you're going to ask me what's the most Billy title of all time. And I think here is no why is yeah. probably 
it just captures all of it. Um, yeah. But on this album, uh, I think it has to be uh, Mandarin. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Spelled M A N D A R Y N N E. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so ridiculous. I love it. Um, um, also, the fact that two songs are named after horrifically bloody Civil War battles, but don't really seem to be, at least obviously, yes. about the Civil War. He probably wrote those while he was like, you know, because he recently drove around the country and like filmed it for, you know, on YouTube or whatever. Um, and, uh, he, he probably like wrote those songs in those places or some, some odd association like that. Speaking Uh, of, speaking of Antietam, this is another very Billy moment of levity. Um, the second verse starts with the line, horses stamped their hues, Marillion side. And so I was like, what color is Marillion? And, uh, as far as I can tell, it's not a word. Um, it, it appears to be the name of some British rock band I've never heard of. Um, I think maybe he meant vermilion. That's that's my best, which is a sort of red color. That's yeah, my best guess. We're going to go with that. Um, <laughs> you know, hey, he's Billy. If he wants to misspell mayonnaise, yeah. um, that's uh, uh, yeah. his thing. I do note that in the lyrics for that song, uh, Marillion is capitalized. Yeah, so because of that, I tried to look up Marillion horse. I thought maybe there's a horse called named Marillion or something, or there's a kind of horse. I did not find any such thing. There is a horse called Queen Marillion, whom he definitely was not referred to, referring to because it's not famous. But in the Google search for that did reveal to me that there are entire websites that just list the pedigrees of racing horses. Oh, yeah. For like six generations. Oh, my God. I'm looking um, at the one for Queen Marillion right now, and we're going back to the horses born in 1948 that sired her eventually. <laughs> 1939 even. Wow. Um, I found that the uh, the rock band Marillion is named that because they named their band Silmarillion, and <laughs> then they thought uh, Tolkien's estate would sue them. Which they would. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. So they uh, shortened it to Marillion. <laughs> So who knows what Billy's talking about in that line, but (laughs) who knows? Um, Yeah, that's, that's just such a Billy thing to have happen. You were making a point before I brought that up. Maybe, maybe not. I think I was just talking about Billy's names and how they're, uh, have this silly internal logic to them that are, is mostly incomprehensible unless he happens to explain it. Yeah. There's a great quote from back in the nineties of him explaining, uh, uh, his song naming process and it's basically he just does six degrees of free association on whatever the song is about and yes and picks that thing yes it's a uh, weird kind of like rhyming slang type type thing where you're like what is this i guess it kind of relates not yeah. really um uh so yeah it's a good album i think that coming to it um you will always have to come to this album as already a fan mm-hmm. of the band, you know, um, but unlike things like Zeitgeist and Oceana, um, if someone picks up, you know, the pumpkins later on and becomes a fan through Siamese Dream or Melancholy or Adore, um, if they go to this album, uh, it won't be uh, embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It won't, it won't reach the heights, you know, like I was thinking like, okay, 
if I compare this to some of the most similar pumpkin songs, like like uh, To Sheila or um, like the Tonight Tonight B-sides, like it's it's not as good, but um, it's it's a perfectly fine album that I think uh, I you know like you said you're probably not going to listen to it unless you're a fan, but if you did, I think you would be like this is good, this is good. this is fine, and some of the songs are really good, so you know I'm happy for that. Um, Paul, acquaintance of the podcast, uh, Evan Ritluski, uh, mm-hmm. had the pleasure of ethering this album for Pitchfork. <laughs> um, I'd like to read the last paragraph of that. Please, because I neglected to read that uh, uh, before this. Corgan settles for an album that's tastefully cordial, but about as suspenseful, suspenseful as a round of bumper bowling. There are a few <laughs> moments when everything clicks, when the passive pleasantness gives way to active pleasure most of them involving a smartly deployed string quartet. Two-string tracks at the album's halfway point, The Long Goodbye and Half-Life of an Autodidact, hinted that quixotic, automatic-for-the-people shaded mood piece Ogallala could have been. Of course, unlike Ogallala, automatic-for-the-people was an actual gamble. R.E.M. had to piece together that vision themselves. There was no precedent for a southern alternative band recruiting Led Zeppelin's bassist to score a symphonic grunge opus. There's nothing but precedent, though, for a musician of a certain age tossing the keys to Rick Rubin and hoping for the best. <laughs> that is, that is, uh, 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 there's no refuting that. Um, so good. So really well written. Um, well, that, well done. That dude um, fucking, I, 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 I'm sad I didn't read the review yet because he really does make me lol every time I do. Um, yes. I mean, he, um, you know, and, and it gave me a little perspective, though, uh, because um, in the first paragraph of the review, uh, he calls Zwan an instant punchline and the future embrace mm-hmm. listless synth pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and then unforgivably zeitgeist, you know, that he calls that unforgivable true. But, you know, I think that that it, it really showed me that if you come to this album with anything anything below being like an a seven or eight out of 10 on the pumpkins fan scale. Like it's a really high mountain to climb. Like you need to already be pretty far up there to, to get into this. I agree. I, I to, to find it exceptional or, or worth serious thought. Sure. Um, but here listeners, we're making you do it anyway. Um, <laughs> yes. um uh, but, uh, uh, I don't think it's offensive. Like he said, uh, you know, his 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 take was accurate. It's it's pretty much um, not risky, and it's really just going to rely on him being awesome. And he's not as he's not awesome enough for it to be a transcendent album at this point. True. Um, yes. But yeah, I would like to hear what Pitchfork resident Pumpkins head Ian Cohen has to say uh, about this because I feel like he is pretty far up on the Pumpkins fan scale. Uh, yes, I was um, surprised he didn't review it, um, but then I realized that uh, uh, this review um, was probably a lot more entertaining than um, Ian's thorough uh, evaluation would have been. Yeah, so was... and you know, it's a it's a question. You know, what is Pitchfork's duty with a review like this? Um, should they provide an unbiased? Uh, view from nowhere take on the album or should they just say like look nobody gives a shit but the fans anyway so let's have a fan give the fans perspective um and i can see arguments from both sides 
So, I mean, in fact, both can exist. Um, we, here's the fan version of it. You're hearing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, everyone needs to go. You don't need to listen to this album, but... Yeah. Um, no one you, needs to go listen to it. You, but def- you, you definitely need to read this, the Pitchfork review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> read, read all of his reviews. Um, I'm really not sucking up to him just because he's been nice to us a couple times on Twitter. I really do laugh my ass off every time he he skewers somebody, or even just describes it. Actually, um, no surprise that the um, the funnier uh, uh, you know critics for Pitchfork are the ones who may find a little more to enjoy about our uh, dumbass podcast. <laughs> Um, One hopes. Paul, to, to wrap all this up, and indeed to conclude, uh, coming back to the nostalgia mm-hmm. uh, point, um, the Smashing Pumpkins seem poised to uh, reunite to both record and tour um, next year. Billy has been, as usual, very cagey about this. Um, but also, as usual, um, someone went to uh, one of Jimmy's drum clinics and just asked. And he was like, oh, yeah, I think we're going to record and tour next year. Um, <laughs> he, he revealed uh, the name and uh, touring schedule of Zwan the same way, uh, smoking outside of a drum clinic. <laughs> oh, my God. He should, he, on his tombstone, should be written Jimmy the Guileless because he's just. <laughs> he, he do, you know, he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't give a fuck. He's, he, yeah. he's a recovering hero, heroin addict rock star drummer who is just yeah. like one it's just one in life i mean he's one of the best drummers yeah he survived drug addiction and now is still in one of the best you know rock bands of all time so you know yeah could um, you imagine nearly killing yourself and killing one of your friends with heroin and then giving a shit about music publicity schedules no uh, i don't I think could so not um, you know, and I just, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, this reunion, um, Billy has, you know, he, he shared the stage with James at a few shows last year and he's now talked to Darcy. Um, and he's really said that he is, he said all the right things. He says that he's not even thinking about it. He's thinking first and foremost, that it's just great to reconnect <laughs> and with these people, um, and indeed, at his recent shows um, for Ogallala, um, he's played first the entire album in sequence and then Pumpkin Songs. And I was really encouraged because he played like four nights in L.A. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, like the third show he did, a, his second set was like a chronological review of the Pumpkins from like Gish through Machina, where he played like two or three songs from each Um it's on YouTube. It's it's awesome because it's just him mm. and, and a guitar um, playing these, you know, everything like Porcelina and Wound. And um, yeah, it's it's real good um, and kind of, you know, being cheeky about it um, and just being in a good mood. So, I mean, uh, the fact that they go into it and try recording, but also, you know, tour in a way that they like embrace how great of a band they you know, how great their output as a band was, um, it's really encouraging. I mean, I'm, I, I, it, it would be a lot better than it would be if they were doing this in like 2008, just for the money. Um, yeah. and, uh, cause I saw Billy and Jimmy and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, half-hearted, uh, supporting cast members in 2008. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, it'll be nice to, um, 
I don't know. I don't bring bring it to a close. Yeah, really. and it'll be interesting for me because I never saw the pumpkins. Which um, is crazy. Yeah. Um, thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, although it would have been in Clearwater at a seated state venue, and it wouldn't have been as good as it could have been. Um, but uh, uh, you know, uh, one question: Are you inherently bugged by the idea of watching a band famous? For what it did in its youth, um, getting back together when they're old, or does the fact that the Pumpkins were never about being sexy to begin with uh, make that not a big deal? You know, I've seen both. Ver- I've seen both the horrifying version of that. Like I went and saw Blondie. Oh God! Uh, when they were just, uh, I think they're in a little better shape now. But at that point, like you know, the yeah. guitarists were just real fat and gross. Um, yeah. And Debbie Harry, I mean, she's Debbie Harry. She still kicks ass, but it was just... Uh, yeah. Well, and I mean, dark. their like, sex appeal was a big part of Blondie. You know? but, but then, you know, I saw a Pavement on their reunion tour, and they like came to Brooklyn, and they just, they were Pavement, and they did their Pavement thing. And, yeah. you know, that was tons of fun. And I even, you know, the best, my favorite. But is that just because Stephen Malkmus is still in shape? I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the physical appearance part is, um, I probably have more tolerance for that now than I did. um, You know, uh, I probably have more understanding of that now. Um, Yeah. I don't want to age shame. I'm just saying like seeing Mick Jagger prance around feels weird. (laughs) Well, Mick, you know, I think there's a pretty big difference between you know, because I just saw Radiohead, I mean, playing music from what has slowly become one of my favorite Radiohead albums, you know, live, mm-hmm. um, went on the Moonshade Pool Tour. And I mean, I think Tom York is 49 or 50. And, uh, you know, those guys, of course, are skinny ass vegans who could yeah. pass for 30. Well, not Tom, but like, yeah, Tom looks like he's 70. <laughs> Ed, Ed could pass for 35 and Johnny yeah. could probably pass for like 27. So, yeah. Um, and th- there's just no, you know, they they were there's no weirdness there. Exactly. I mean, uh, uh, there's just nothing, you know. They're still insanely talented musicians playing really good music. So, and I think though, you know, once you get to the Rolling Stones, that's when they're seventy five. I mean, there's just yeah, uh, there's some karaoke going on there. And again, a large part of the Stones was I'm a really hot young rock sex god. Um, yeah. And. Uh, it's not like he's moved on beyond that. He's sort of just doing the same stuff, even though he's now a mummy. Yeah, um, and I, I saw Bruce Springsteen last year, and he's 67. And, yeah. um, you know, like I said then, 40 years older than Taylor Swift. And, I mean, the show is still <laughs> fun. But, I mean, I felt like he, at 67, was right at the edge uh, of, you know, these stadium rock shows are going to become all karaoke soon, you know, mm-hmm. for him. Um, uh, but he still pulled it off. So I'm not really afraid of 50 year old Billy who can still sing and play the guitar, yeah. um, insanely he, well. He really can still sing. I mean, it, maybe you always hated his voice, but he sounds pretty much like Billy still. So that's cool. Yeah. I, w- I won't get into how the, the shitty ways he's changed his voice. I could get in a rant. We're not going to talk about that. He does oh. still sound good. I don't um, actually, I like his weird vibrato on this album. Uh, fuck the vibrato. Um, <laughs> it's, anyway. it's put on, but I like it. it anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I think the, the point that I was going to get to is, um, 
perhaps to close on a more general question is, you know, what point, and there's so many bands that I have loved that I actually like no longer actively follow. Like I really will only listen to their new album once or maybe like not at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Death Cab is a, is an example or even like Modest Mouse. I, I guess I listened to their new album once. I listened to it once. It wasn't worth listening to again. uh, Like I don't care about them anymore. And it's like the pumpkins aren't in that category, but I just wonder, I just, it's interesting what that sustaining force is. So the pumpkins kind of were in that category for me, but this album is good enough for me to, to pay attention to. Like I have not listened to Oceana ever. Um, (laughs) Um, future podcast yeah exactly um <laughs> more pumpkins content um but uh yeah uh for me it's just if if the music isn't good and i have no particular reason to it, you know i don't see any reason to um taint my memories of when they were good um just because out of some uh sense of loyalty that actually hurts me and them you know mm-hmm. um so, uh, but at the same time, like, uh, Modest Mouse, I feel the same way as you do, but uh, if they release a new album, um, I'll listen once and if it's good, I'll say so, but, uh, yeah. I'm not expecting. Good point. Good point. Um, as we, as we kind of discussed, we discussed on an earlier pod, our official position is to, um, give band, give bands a break. Yeah. Remember uh, the if, good times we had. Yes. Yes. Um, it, they don't need to last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to come to this point, like 20 odd years after I became a Smashing Pumpkins fan. And if you like, I feel like back then I felt like if I would be like this age, I would like know everything, you know, and now there's like, there's a whole new set of things you don't know. Yeah. And that um, is it's in the context that deep thought in the context of the pumpkins is that, you know, I still don't necessarily like, I don't understand this music in some mature way. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I still have the same kind of mysterious connections to it that I did back then. And that's good. That's, uh, yeah. that's why it still speaks to us. I mean, um, final thought, like uh, I was just hanging out with my brothers a couple weeks ago. And uh, we were, the three of us were up late um, uh, goofing around and they requested the pumpkins from me. Uh, God bless them. And so uh, I put on um, uh, the blue disc of Melancholy mm-hmm. and uh, like that, uh, that still completely kicks fucking ass, man. Yeah. It's so good. We yeah, were all really. three of us uh, uh, killing it to bodies, which is such a good song. Um, and uh, I think I appreciate it more now than I did. So uh, that speaks to to uh, something related to what you were saying. Yeah, <laughs> I like Chuck. Luckily, like Chuck Klosterman, the music we grew up with happens to be the best music of all time. I know it's so lucky for every <laughs> single human how that's the case. <laughs> um, except someone who was a teenager before 1950. There. Yeah, tough. or the kids listening to the 1975 right now. Uh, it's that's all pulling out for them. That stuff. Whatever. They have Kendrick. I feel no. <laughs> that's, you know, to be, True. to be 17 and to be gifted damn, it would just yeah. be awesome. 
<laughs> it would be so good. I mean, you would probably, uh, if that happened to you, be recording a podcast 20 years later about how good Kendrick Lamar was every time you, <laughs> you started talking about things. Yes, and now, and just talking about how you descended into uh, jazz madness. Yes, absolutely. Five, five disc instrumental album. I'm not looking forward. To, I uh, My prediction is Kendrick's... Um, artistic disintegration is he just becomes a recluse and leaves and we never hear from him again. I could see that. I could see that. I could also, yeah, he could be, you know, the Andre 3000 path is there yeah. for him. Or even the, the JD Salinger path. Oh um, God. <laughs> that would be rough. Yeah. It's uh, it's better than Oceania. Um, yes. I also believe that <laughs> someone should break into that house and liberate all of JD Salinger's writings, which I realize is the wrong, <laughs> the wrong opinion, but I still believe it. Um, uh, someday they'll come out, Joe. There, there is always a thirsty descendant willing to do that. that. Someday, someday the yeah. thirst will come. Um, okay, Paul, we have, uh, uh, driven our own nostalgia, uh, deep into the ground. <laughs> yeah. Rubbed it, rubbed it bare. Um, uh, yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm moving on. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, as always, Twitter at Savage Beast Pod, uh, SavageBeastPod.com, SavageBeastPod at gmail.com. Oh, we need to, re- uh, Jim Anderson sent us a new email, dude. Yes. Next podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. You're a good man. Yeah. Um, and, so, and like yeah. Jim, leave us five stars on iTunes. Oh, what a man. Um, yes. And subscribe. Uh, we appreciate it. And, um, we'll talk to you next time.